So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. The content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes. Thanks so much for joining us today and for voting for the next movie that we're going to discuss in our session today. It was a very close vote, and the winner is... Silver Linings Playbook. Yay! <laughs> what meds are you on? I used to be on lithium and Seroquel. I was on Xanax. You ever take Klonopin? Klonopin. Yeah. I'm tired. I want to go. Are you going to walk me home or what? You have poor social skills. Doc, she's crazy. Hey! Oh, what the hell? She knew where I was. She followed me. Then why don't you run somewhere else? Calm down, crazy. Maybe she just needs a friend. You want to have dinner at this diner? Pick me up at 7.30. Oh, she's a mess. You got to be careful. She does a lot of therapy. I go to a lot of therapy. Am I messed up? I just got to get a strategy, you know. Me too. Lost in my mind. No, you don't want to listen to your father. I don't listen to mine. But life reaches out with a moment like this. It's a sin if you don't reach back. This is what I believe to be true. You have to do everything you can. And if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. Thank you guys so much for voting. Um, it was really fun for us. For those of you who don't follow us on social media, we did a vote of a few different movies um, to choose what today's episode was going to be focused on. And if you are interested in helping us pick future shows and movies and to see other teasers of upcoming sessions, please remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at Pod, and then also on Facebook. And I want to say it was a very intense race. Um, those of you that voted or followed, I'm sure know, we had the initial vote and it was a tie between Silver Linings Playbook and Silence of the Lambs. So then we did a runoff vote and Silver Linings only won by two votes. So stay tuned because we'll likely be covering Silence of the Lambs in the near future too, since it seemed very popular as well. Sneak peek. <laughs> So for today, Silver Linings Playbook is a movie that premiered in 2012. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards, um, winning one of them for Best Actress, Jennifer Lawrence. And Silver Linings Playbook follows Pat, who is played by Bradley Cooper. He has just lost his job and his wife, and we find him after he has spent eight months in a psychiatric hospital. After he leaves the hospital, we see that he goes to live with his parents as he's trying to rebuild his life and reunite with his wife, Nikki. Pat meets Tiffany, played by Jennifer Lawrence, who is a widow, and she offers to help him reconnect with his wife as a trade if he agrees to join her as a dance partner in a contest. 
So let's talk about Pat. He is, of course, our main character. Um, And as Dr. Sam mentioned, we first meet him and he's um, in an inpatient psychiatric hospital. And, you know, Dr. Sam and I debated how much we really wanted to get into the details about inpatient psychiatric hospitalization, especially if it's court ordered, um, you know, because of like an assault, like with the case of Pat. Um, And really, we decided that for today's session, we're going to focus more on kind of the diagnosis and some of the things that going on with Pat after the hospitalization, because we really feel like there are a lot of other great movies out there that we could spend a lot more time talking about those topics. Definitely. And so as Dr. Fran just stated, we learn early on that Pat was in the hospital um, related to a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. So, you know, we get a picture of what living with bipolar disorder may look like in watching Pat, but what is bipolar disorder? I think it's also interesting because you and I had mentioned before recording this episode, this is one of our first sessions we've done where we get are given the diagnosis up front. Yes. Typically, we're trying <laughs> to have to figure out like what we think might be going on. Here, we learn very early that Pat is diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so now it's kind of figuring out like, okay, how accurate is this portrayal? Yeah, definitely a little bit of a different approach than we usually take. I think it's important though, especially um, as we watch movies and TV shows where they do give their characters diagnoses to look at them and see how accurate is this portrayal. Obviously, there's always going to be variations and nuances. Um, I think this movie is kind of neat because it really focuses on mental illness. And this will be the first time we really discuss bipolar disorder. Yeah, so a lot of people have heard the term bipolar or bipolar disorder before, so what does it actually mean? So one of the main characteristics of bipolar disorder is having what is called a manic episode. And a manic episode is very specifically defined as occurring for at least one week, um, and it has specific qualities that are characteristic of a manic episode. So for example, um, having a really high or elevated or irritable mood um, for most of that full week, having a lot more energy than usual, um, having a really exaggerated sense of self-esteem or grandiosity, which is actually a term we've talked about before related to like narcissistic personality disorder, but we can also see that in a manic mm-hmm. episode. Additionally, people who are experiencing a manic episode um, also may demonstrate less need for sleep, so they're sleeping a lot less than what would be typical, um, and then they may be talking a lot more than usual or talking very loudly, very quickly, um, kind of talking in in um, a a tangential manner at times because it seems like they're just being very easily distracted, have a lot to share. Um, Related to the more energy, we also see that they may do many activities at once. So either scheduling more events in a day that can be accomplished or having really kind of goal-directed and intense focused behavior on different activities. And kind of related to that and the the talking more than usual also potentially like racing thoughts. So not only is it expressed as kind of like quickly changing ideas or topics, but that's also what's going on internally. So switching from one thing to another. And then in certain cases, um, there can also be risky behavior. So it might be reckless driving, going on spending sprees, um, sexual behavior, um, even suicidality or self-harm can come up in those manic episodes as well. Yeah. So – Mania is one of the hallmark characteristics of bipolar disorder, specifically for what we would call bipolar disorder one. Um, With bipolar disorder, um, 
Manic episodes might also have occurring either before the episode or even after the episode might also experience a major depressive episode. So while this is not necessary for a diagnosis, the majority of individuals who meet criteria for mania or have had a manic episode at one point in their lives are also highly likely to also experience major depressive episodes. Um, I know that we have briefly touched on depression before when we talked about Fight Club with Jack, um, but with depression, that's more of seeing the sad, depressed, low mood. You can also see like a lack of interest in what were once pleasurable activities, the changes in sleep, eating, um, those types of things that we talked about, as well as feelings of hopelessness or suicidal ideation. And we can see that in individuals with bipolar as well. They might have these episodes in addition to the mania. Yeah, and I think that's an important point to bring up. And, you know, oftentimes we think of the classic um, characterization of bipolar is having those really high highs and those really low lows, um, which would be the depression versus the mania being the highs. And, um, you know, I think it's important to think about that even though the depression piece is very commonly associated, mm-hmm. like following the manic or right before the manic episode, it's not required at least for bipolar one. There is bipolar two, which we won't get into a ton of, um, but basically bipolar two um, does require that depressive episode, but instead of having a full-blown manic um, episode, they uh, have what's called a, um, a hypomanic episode, which is just that it occurs for a shorter period of time. Yeah, and may be perceived as being less extreme in some um, some ways. Uh, I think that those are important characteristics to discuss. Um, another important thing to discuss with bipolar disorder is oftentimes individuals who um, may be diagnosed with bipolar disorder do not perceive themselves as ill or in need of help, especially as it relates to mania. They may see, you know, they might perceive that as positive and might feel good in some ways. Um, and oftentimes we do find that individuals with bipolar are more likely to seek help um, if experiencing a depressive episode. And that makes a lot of sense, right? So if someone's in the middle of a manic episode and they're being super productive, maybe they're like staying all, up all night writing a book or cleaning their entire house, um, they are experiencing this like elevated mood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they might not be as likely to think of that as a negative thing mm-hmm. versus if you're in that depressive state where you can't get out of bed, it's so impairing, then it's more obvious that there might be something interfering going on that could use some additional help. Exactly. Um, I think it's important to note that about 2.6% of American adults are diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, I know in our last session we talked about diagnosis graveyard, so we're not going to necessarily do that segment today. But interestingly, bipolar disorder was formally called manic depression um, or manic depressive disorder. So you may have heard those terms used in the in movies before. I know I have. I actually hear it a lot on um, like drug commercials and they'll say like for manic de- depression. And I'm like, that's not a diagnosis. What are you talking about? Yeah, I definitely hear it there too. <laughs> I think another interesting uh, statistic or thinking about the rates of bipolar, this is one of the disorders where there's actually a one-to-one prevalence for men versus women. Um, so I think that's just interesting, especially thinking about having a man portrayed with a mental illness, which we don't often see as much um, in the media in general, but then particularly thinking about that within the context of bipolar disorder. Yeah. Bipolar disorder also, we know, does run in families. So um, about 80 to 90% of individuals with bipolar disorder have a relative with either depression or bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's a really important point to bring up that there is a genetic component and it's not a guaranteed, right? So just because 
you have a family member that has bipolar disorder, even if it's a direct relative like a parent, is not a guarantee 100% you're going to have bipolar disorder or your kids are going to have it. But it does increase the likelihood and the risk um, associated with it, obviously in combination with other like environmental factors or other things that um, might be going on to contribute to the development of something like bipolar disorder. Yes, and we often hear, right, nature versus nurture. Oftentimes in mental illness, there are both components at play. So with bipolar disorder, we do know there's a genetic component. We also do know about certain environmental factors that contribute. So we know that um, extreme stress, um, sleep disruption, drugs, or alcohol use may trigger episodes in patients who maybe already have what we call a genetic predisposition or might have had that genetic loading already. Um, so stressful events can be something like a death in the family, an illness, a difficult relationship, divorce, financial problems, or, you know, spoiler alert, walking in on your wife having an affair mm-hmm. in the shower. Getting a, getting a little sneak peek into what we'll talk about in a second. <laughs> yes. We're going to get into PAT and bipolar disorder specifically in just a second. I do want to mention, I think it's really important, and um, I'm glad that we're covering bipolar disorder today because I do think it is so commonly portrayed in movies and TV shows. And on top of that, I think... I think people tend to use the term very colloquially. So like you'll just hear people like, you know, in describing kind of typical mood variations or mood swings like, oh, you're so bipolar or they're so bipolar, Um, you know, which is it really just kind of shows like that maybe this disorder is not as well understood um, and can be often uh, misportrayed. So I think it's good that we're seeing it in movies and TV shows and that we're able to kind of break it down. Is this what we might really expect in someone who's diagnosed? Yeah, I think that's such a great point. We oftentimes hear that. I even have patients I work with say like, oh, I'm bipolar. And what they really are saying is that they have very quick mood changes throughout the day. That's typically not what we're going to see with true bipolar disorder. We're not, we're seeing an extended period of time where someone's manic at least a week and then a depressive episode where someone's up to two weeks or longer having depression so it's not like day to day just switching back and forth very quickly exactly i think that's a very common misconception that people just equate mood swings equal bipolar (laughs) not the case and let's learn a little bit about like whether or not maybe pat has bipolar as it is described in the movie And we are excited to bring back our diagnosis bingo segment for this episode. (laughs) Yeah. So as we continue to discuss Pat and his journey in Silver Linings Playbook, we're going to alert you to whether or not his feelings or behaviors seem to be in line with what we would expect to see in someone with bipolar disorder. So like we mentioned before, when we first meet Pat, he is just getting out of the inpatient hospital and he's actually going to live with his parents. Um, So we wanted to spend just a few minutes before we get into Pat's kind of story arc talking about his parents because they are really important to kind of his development and kind of the context of how, you know, some of these things are developing. So with his mom... um, You know, she's a really interesting character. We don't learn a ton about her, but we definitely get the sense that she's very protective and can be a little bit of maybe we would say an enabler um, for some of the things that are going on with Pat. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Fran sounds like the therapist from Step Brothers. (laughs) You're an enabler. (laughs) You are an enabler. You think you're helping, but you're not. And you are a keeper. But I do, I do agree. You know, she might enable in some ways. Like she, she obviously means well. She cares about Pat. Um, I think she struggles to 
to know how to best help him in some times. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get into this, but, you know, she kind of tries to encourage him to take his medication or do things that have been recommended, um, but otherwise, like, mm-hmm. provides him with a lot of, like, uh, like reassurance and just wants to kind of keep him happy. <laughs> Although then goes against medical and court advice and pulls her son out of inpatient hospitalization sooner than is recommended. Exactly. So that's just a little bit like, ooh, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, and then we have Pat's father, who I think is a, a very contrasting character compared to the mother. Mm-hmm. They definitely have different parenting styles and a lot of different personality characteristics. <laughs> With dad, we do see more glimpses of what could be psychopathology going on for him. Yes. Um, he, they allude to the fact that he has these anger outbursts. And I'll take that fucking camera and I'm going to break it over your fucking head. Then I'm going to come back and interview you about what it's like to get that fucking camera broken over your head. You, what are you laughing about? To the point where he is suspended from the Eagle Stadium because he got into a fight. Um, you know, so we do see glimpses of that with dad. Yeah, and it kind of begs to question, as we discussed, we know that with bipolar disorder, there is a genetic component. Uh, with dad, they never ever, they never explicitly say what diagnoses, if any, he has. Um, but we do see some tendencies, and I think these will come up again and again as we discuss Pat further. But, you know, he has some um, obsessive-compulsive disorder-like tendencies. He has some um, obsessive thoughts about the eagles and engages in certain behaviors, very superstitious. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene with Pat where Pat borrows an envelope, and Dad has, like, tracked the envelope and keeps them all very organized and, you know, kind of seems like he has inventory of them and becomes very distressed when there's a change that he's unaware of. Yeah, I borrowed one of your envelopes. I hope that's not a problem. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. And then we also see with dad the gambling, right? So this is another like big focus and potentially problem area for dad. Like I think at one point he's willing to gamble like all of the money he has saved for another business venture. Um, So, you know, definitely some things going on there maybe similar to what we see in pat it's hard to know since we don't know dad's whole story right and i think again going back to that like nature versus nurture so there may already be some genetic predisposition for pat to have some kind of mood disorder like bipolar disorder if there's a family history of it and you can imagine that if pat's growing up with some of these events going on in the household he's seeing that modeled for him dad might be interacting with him in a certain way we do see that there is some you know physical altercations that happen in the movie it's like kind of a question mark in my head of like whether they've been physical before Mm -hmm. um, when dad's gotten really angry and so you can imagine how those combination of factors might lead pat um, to be where he is with having a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and having other things going on with him that um, he's having he's still struggling with I think that's one of the main overlapping things we definitely see with Pat and his father is this aggression and, um, you know, tendency towards violence at times. Like you mentioned, uh, the father is banned from Eagles games because he's gotten into so many physical fights. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll talk about the physicality between um, dad and Pat. Um, But then we also see Pat, you know, he went to the inpatient hospitalization stay after physically assaulting his wife's um, partner. Lover. <laughs> yeah, lover, for lack of a better <laughs> word. Um, and we see other uh, acts of aggression. So we'll definitely get into that. But I think there's 
been some modeling going on, at the very least, especially related to the Eagles games, modeling of aggression there. (laughs) Yeah. So even though it's not a diagnostic criteria, we do have a suspected genetic predisposition for bipolar. So I think we can give it a bingo check there. Yes. And then I think another one in thinking about the family context is that oftentimes individuals with untreated bipolar disorder have a very difficult time functioning and maintaining like a job or um, relationships and different pieces like that. So it's not uncommon for individuals to then have to meet back, move back home with parents or get additional support from family members. So I think that's kind of another check mark there, thinking about how Pat is having to rely on his parents um, at even though he's an adult and has had a job and a marriage, but he's kind of having to go back to that um, to manage what's going on right now. Yeah, his symptoms have caused negative impairments. He lost both his wife and his job, all related to um, what seems to be one larger incident, but as we hear, maybe some other uh, uh, incidents leading up to it as well. And so we have Pat, you know, he's home, he's living with his parents that we just talked a little bit about. And I feel like this next thing we're about to discuss, in my opinion, was one of the better depictions of mental illness in the movie. So what happens, Dr. Fran, the first night that Pat is at home? So one might think that Pat has a manic episode or an intense period of mania during um, his first night at his parents. So he is very interested in trying to win back his ex-wife, Nikki. And part of how he wants to do that is to read her syllabus. She's a teacher, and he wants to read all the books she has on her syllabus because he thinks that if he can do that, she'll see that he's really trying, he's very knowledgeable, and she'll want him back. So he has this mission that he's going to read some of her books. So let's take a listen to how that works out. Yes. I just can't believe Nikki's teaching that book to the kids. I mean, it's the whole time. Let me just break it down for you. The whole time you're rooting for this Hemingway guy to survive the war and to be with the woman that he loves, Catherine Barkley. It's four o'clock in the morning, Pat. And he does. He does. He survives the war after getting blown up. He survives it and he escapes to Switzerland with Catherine. But now Catherine's pregnant. Isn't that wonderful? She's pregnant. And they escape up into the mountains and they're going to be happy and they're going to be drinking wine and they dance. They both like to dance with each other. There's scenes of them dancing, which was boring, but I liked it because they were happy. You think he ends it there? No! He writes another ending. She dies, Dad. I mean, the world's hard enough as it is, guys. It's fucking hard enough as it is. Can't somebody say, hey, let's be positive? Let's have a good ending to the story? Pat, you owe us an apology. Mom, I I can't apologize. I'm not going to apologize for this. You know what I will do? I will apologize on behalf of Ernest Hemingway, because that's who's to blame here. Yeah, have Ernest Hemingway call us and apologize to us, too. All right. So I would say that one of our first clues that Pat may be experiencing a manic episode is that it is 4 a.m. He has not slept, and instead he has spent the whole night reading Ernest Hemingway, which I think, you know, kind of shows that he may not have ever read Ernest Hemingway in the past if he was so surprised by the not-so-positive ending, but that's a different point. So I think we get a ding there for his lack of sleep. We also see this idea of goal-directed behavior, and that just basically means that there is some goal that someone is very intent on accomplishing, regardless of what time it is, other things they might need to do like eat or go to the bathroom but really just focusing on that so he's hyper focused on targeting the syllabus and reading all these books as quickly as possible yeah definitely a ding there (laughs) um 
Based on his behavior, we can see he's like talking loudly, he's talking quickly, kind of seems to be experiencing racing thoughts about the character in Hemingway's novel and, you know, what was going to happen to him and Catherine. Um, So I think we get another ding there. And similarly with the racing thoughts, like uh, Dr. Sam was describing, um, we usually use the term like pressured speech to describe what that actually sounds like when it's coming out. So that's that very quick paced speaking. So that's just kind of like fun fact of, you know, what the term that we use to describe that phenomenon in psychopathology. Yes. Um, And overall, I think Pat is just exhibiting a lot of energy. We see that he's irritated. We see that he's agitated. Um, Interestingly, too, like this is something, you know, When he saw his wife having an affair in the shower, that's something that most people would become very upset by. Um, Whereas reading Hemingway and having this amount of energy and emotion related to it might not be as typical, right? So I think in this one episode, uh, we're definitely getting enough dings and at least three, you know, for bipolar, we'd want to see at least three of those um, manic symptoms occurring. And in this one incident, we're definitely meeting that there. We do have to have it happen for one week. So let's stay tuned and see is this a one-time incident for pat (laughs) i don't think so or does it continue yeah (laughs) so a next kind of notable piece that comes up for pat is we see that he is in therapy um and so that is is kind of an interesting first therapy session though it is and at the i think towards the end of today we're really going to dive into the therapy because one of the other interesting aspects of Silver Linings Playbook is that there is a lot of therapy. So we're going to cover that more in depth. Um, But I think that related to bipolar disorder, some of the things that we kind of see overall with him being in therapy are there are some incidents that we could call um, triggering or elicit very strong emotions in Pat that again demonstrate that agitation and overall like irritation that we were talking about. And, you know, we also hear Pat describe um, to the therapist some of how he feels like his bipolar disorder impacts him. So I think it's really interesting to kind of hear his take on what he feels like is going on. Yeah, let's listen. And we later found out from the hospital that's because I'm... uh, Undiagnosed bipolar. Yeah. With mood swings and weird thinking brought on by severe stress, which rarely happens, thank God. And then the shower incident happened, and that's when everything stopped, so... I then realized that, oh, oh, wow, you know, I've been dealing with this my whole life. And uh, and without any supervision, I've been doing it all on my own uh, with no help. And, um, you know, I basically have been, I've been like white knuckling it this whole time. That had to be hard. Yeah, it's a lot to deal with, especially when you don't know what the hell is happening, which I do now, sort of. So I think that's just really interesting to hear someone describe their experience um, of bipolar disorder in that way. And so I think a a particularly important piece to pick up on is kind of how he's been struggling with it without knowing what's going on. And so sometimes for individuals, even just knowing that there is something to describe the experiences that they're they're having can be really helpful. It normalizes it and kind of puts it in context. It's like, this isn't how it has to be all the time. I don't always have to feel like this. There are ways that we know can help so that he's not just having to white knuckle it for the rest of his life yes i like that part where pat kind of mentions you know that things seem to have gotten better it does seem to be a relief to know what the diagnosis is and that there are things that he can do for treatment to hopefully um, help him one of the main things that comes up repeatedly since pat is home and we hear a little bit more about this as he starts to go to therapy and we've touched on it a bit but pat's main goal in all of this, is really a very intense focus on winning back his wife, Nikki. He 
really wants to get back together with Nikki. Yes. And, you know, I think we talked about when individuals are experiencing manic episodes, they might not always have the best insight or they might not really perceive that what is happening is detrimental or that they might need help for it. I think this is another good example of how Pat seems to fit into that picture because he doesn't seem to quite grasp the severity of what has occurred between him and Nikki. You know, he attacked her, as we were calling him, lover um and now there's a restraining order so nikki doesn't want to see him in fact there's this restraining order she feels afraid of him or is trying to keep her distance and he doesn't really seem to realize the severity of that and even really think that he needs to kind of um follow it and i think if we're talking about lack of insight pat also seems to really idolize their relationships every time he talks about it it's like we had the perfect relationship it was amazing it was great we have a very unconventional chemistry it makes people feel awkward but not me all right she's the most beautiful woman i've ever been with wow it's electric between us but we learn a little bit more through things he says and things we learn from other characters that really their relationship wasn't all that great and maybe not have been the most healthy or the closest. I think he even mentions they would go like weeks without talking to each other and like different things like that. I mean, people fight. Couples fight. We would fight. We wouldn't talk for a couple weeks. That's normal. So, you know, again, that like lack of insight um, and the, you know, the idolization piece is not necessarily like consistent or, um, you know, a requirement or a symptom of bipolar disorder. But I think just gives us a little bit of insight into Pat's preoccupation with getting together with getting back together with Nikki. Exactly. And it's not required for diagnosis, but does just show like another common kind of factor related. I think um, in addition to what we learn about his and Nikki's relationship, interestingly, he talks about how Nikki had um, asked him to like lose weight and stop his mood swings. So his focus on getting back with Nikki in a kind of roundabout way does help him kind of focus on improving himself like with treatment, with working out because he thinks he's doing it to win her back. Um, But it does kind of help him, I think, in engaging in some activities that could be productive for him. Okay, yeah, we want to change each other, but that's normal. Couples want to do that. I want her to stop dressing like she dresses. I want her to stop acting so superior to me, okay? And she wanted me to lose weight and stop my mood swings, which both I've done. She always wanted the best for me. She wanted me to be passionate and compassionate. And that's a good thing, you know? I just, look, I'm my best self today, and I think she's her best self today, and our love's gonna be fucking amazing. One of the things related to Nikki that comes up is his main goal is to get Nikki a letter. So he can't see Nikki, he can't be near Nikki. In fact, a police officer shows up because he stops by the school and runs by their old home and is trying to get close to her when he shouldn't. So he decides that he wants to write Nikki a letter. And the way he figures out that he can potentially get this letter to Nikki is through Tiffany. So um, we get introduced to the character of Tiffany, played by Jennifer Lawrence, but he meets her through his very close friend's wife. Tiffany is her sister. Um, And so they meet at this kind of interesting dinner party. Um, But I actually really love that scene. I feel like the whole dinner party, we get a lot of interesting glimpses into what's going on with Pat and then also Tiffany um, and kind of have this interesting interaction of two di- two individuals who have had a lot of experience with the mental health system and with psychiatry and different medications. What meds are you on? Me? None. I used to be on lithium and Seroquel and Abilify, but I don't take them anymore. No. They make me foggy and they also make me bloated. Yeah, I was on Xanax and Effexor, but I agree, it wasn't as sharp, so I stopped. You ever take Klonopin? Klonopin, yeah. Right? Jesus. Like, is it what? Yeah. What day is it? 
How about trazodone? Trazodone. <laughs> oh, it flattens you out. I mean, you are done. It takes the light right out of your eyes. Yeah, I thought that conversation was very interesting. Like, at first, you know, um, Pat mentions how he's been on lithium and Seroquel and Abilify. Uh, if kind of, in looking at these medications, they are medications that can be prescribed for bipolar disorder and depression. Um, and then Tiffany and him discuss medications that they've both been on along with side effects. I think it's kind of nice to see just like individuals not feeling mm -hmm. like they can't discuss their diagnoses and can't discuss their medications out in the open um, and can mm -hmm. even like relate and like feel like they have someone that they can like that understands their experiences. So I thought that that was like a nice portrayal. Yeah, I agree. I saw some mixed feelings about that scene on when I was looking at different articles and yeah. stuff. Some people were like thought it was I mean, it, you know, it is taboo to just at the dinner table the first time you're meeting someone talk about your psychiatric illnesses and medications that you're taking. And at the same time, like you said, we're getting this normalization and they kind of bond over that and kind of are like, oh, you're someone who can kind of understand to some extent the experiences that I've had much differently than like Julia Stiles character who's just kind of judgmental and like, oh, we don't talk about that kind of thing. Exactly. I think especially we'll talk more about Tiffany, but she is very much like play by my rules, like I'm going to be who I am. And I think, you know, talking about diagnoses or medications at the dinner table, some people might see that as taboo, but the bigger question is why is that taboo, right? And it's just like as a society, the culture that we have built around that. And so conversations like this that can, you know, de like kind of reduce that stigmatization um, and just normalize it. I can see why there are mixed reviews, but I do think that it's kind of like, it was kind of a cool scene to see. Like some people can just talk about those things and kind of, like you mentioned, bond over it. And I also appreciated it. it really didn't take that much research on the producer or the script writer's yeah. part, but I did appreciate that they chose medications that actually would be prescribed for someone with bipolar disorder. Um, so like lithium in particular yes. is very commonly prescribed for bipolar disorder and some of the other ones too could be prescribed. Um, and same with what we know is going on with Tiffany. Her medications were fairly consistent with things that could be prescribed for someone with her presentation. So yeah. at least that was somewhat accurate. That's true. <laughs> I think we'll get a little bit more into the dynamics between Tiffany and Pat specifically. But um, at this dinner scene, you know, it's kind of a very tense scene. And it ends up with Tiffany wanting to leave. And she asked Pat to walk her home. Um, and there's this very interesting um, conversation where she hits on Pat um, and then becomes very emotional, very upset and kind of cries and hugs him and ends up lapping him and walking away. Um, and then we see Pat, he kind of runs home, he gets into bed, he's very restless, and you can see that he's upset by this interaction. Uh, so we see that he might have another stressful night related to that. It feels to me like you want to hide my wedding video. No, please, you think I can't handle it? Please stop yelling. I'm not yelling, Mom. I'm just frustrated because I should have my fucking wedding video. She's not here. Down, yeah. I'm not coming down.
So there's a lot to unpack with this clip. So first we see kind of another example of what we might consider to be a manic episode for Pat. Um, It's late at night again. We see that goal-directed behavior in terms of like he needs to find his wedding video. And like Dr. Sam mentioned, the timing is curious. It seems to be that his interaction with Tiffany, whether it was just that it agitated him or maybe he's thought he might be interested in Tiffany and is trying to deal with those conflicting feelings of like wanting to be with his wife, but he needs to find his wedding video. Yeah, I kind of always thought, you know, uh, in that conversation with Tiffany, Pat is aware that her husband is dead and he is questioning why Tiffany was wearing her wedding ring. And so Tiffany kind of pushes back a lot towards Pat as well about whether or not he's actually married and kind of critiquing his relationship. Um, So I think we can kind of see that um, Pat's just very distressed by that. He becomes very emotional and it could be a potential stressor. And you're right. He's just very focused on finding that wedding video. We see a lot of irritability and aggression. So here, you know, he's actually kind of having flashes of the scene of his wife cheating on him. He's becoming, you know, just very distraught and upset. He accidentally strikes his mother um, with his elbow as she's trying to kind of calm him down and stop him. And I think this scene, even just watching it or even just listening to the audio of it, it's very chaotic. And I think that the, you know, the producers did that on purpose. They play this song in the background while there's all this yelling and screaming. And I think it's supposed to be kind of like mirroring what it might feel like to be in the middle of this episode, whether you're Pat or whether you're the parents trying to calm Pat down and not really understanding what's going on, but really kind of reflecting just like, especially I think because Pat's got this goal and he's having, he can't accomplish it. So he really wants to find the wedding video and the more he can't find it the more agitated he is becoming exactly and i think he also seems upset because people are questioning him like why are you looking for this video it's late at night you're yelling you're disturbing the neighbors and he's just like i don't care about the neighbors i don't care about anything like why is it such a big deal for me to find the video and he doesn't really realize like how kind of distressing this whole event is we also get to see some of dad's difficulties because dad Mm -hmm. is also kind of becoming irritated and aggressive because he's upset that pat is in his study which is kind of like a a place that he doesn't like other people to go into kind of like he he likes to control that Um, so there's just a lot of escalation here Yeah, and then Pat accidentally hits his mother, and then dad acts aggressively towards Pat, and then you see this physical altercation, you know, develop between them, which, again, kind of makes me wonder, is this the first time dad and Pat have gotten into some kind of physical altercation, and, you know, how common or how often have things like this happened between them in the past? It's a good question. And this is another example of an event. So we talked about um, after Pat had gone by the school in his old home with his wife, the police officer shows up to keep an eye on Pat related to his, you know, parameters of being released from the hospital. So this, the police officer shows up again because the neighbors all are all out. There's been a lot of ruckus and a lot of noise. Um, and then we see that Pat gets very upset and he's begging the police officer not to tell Nikki. He doesn't want Nikki to know about this incident. He wants Nikki to think he's doing really well Um, and we do see a little bit more uh, recognition that his actions um, maybe have some negative consequences here because he does apologize for hitting his mother he seems to feel a little bit um, uh, more aware of those repercussions at least in this event Mm -hmm. and it seems to carry over because we do see that he starts to take his medication more consistently after this incident so as we mentioned right before this incident he had just met Tiffany so this is really where his relationship with Tiffany starts to take off. So the next day, almost, I think it's the next day or it's very shortly after, Pat is on a run. As we know, one of his goals is to lose weight so he'll be trim for Nikki and she'll take him back and love him forever. And he has to wear 
the garbage bag to make yeah. sure he sweats enough to lose weight more quickly. Yeah, and we see that he runs by the home that he had dropped Tiffany off of uh, or off at the night before, and he's kind of like looking. We presume it's Tiffany's house, and then sure enough, as he's running, she comes running out and starts chasing after him. He very quickly makes it known he does not like her chasing him. He doesn't want her to run with him. He wants to run alone. Um, she kind of tells him, like, calm down, crazy. They get into a little bit of an argument, and he tries to run off. <laughs> And so it's interesting because, you again, I feel like there's this conflicting feelings going on for Pat. So, like, he happens to run by her house and then yes. she kind of calls him out on it. Like, why are you running by my house? And then she tries to interact with him and follow him and he's like, don't do that. But then he happens to run into her several more times, yeah. right? So it seems like it's probably not a coincidence. Exactly. And I think it's like on the second run or so where they're running into each other again. And she kind of says like, you know, like, just chill out. I only want to be friends with you. Um, and he invites her to dinner at the diner. And I think that this is kind of a um, a big event in their relationship. What do you mean? How am I? What is that? Sort of like me. Sort of like you? I hope to God she didn't tell Nikki that. Why? Because it... It's just not right lumping you and I together. It's, I mean, it's just wrong, and Nikki wouldn't like that. Especially after all the shit you just told me. You think that I'm crazier than you? <laughs> because, well, we're different, I mean. Oh my God. Oh, you're killing me. You know what? Forget I offered to help you. Forget the entire fucking idea. Because that must have been fucking crazy. Because I am so much crazier than you. Keep your voice down. I'm just the crazy slut with a dead husband. <laughs> Forget it! Shut the fuck up. Fuck you! you shut Tiffany! Up. Hey, Tiffany! So as we're watching this clip, I am literally cringing because Pat just makes so many blunders and just keeps digging the hole deeper and deeper of things that he's saying to Tiffany. It's a very emotional scene. You know, from the offset, Pat, he orders Raisin Bran, and he kind of makes it very <laughs> clear to Tiffany, like, this isn't a date, and I want you to know it isn't a date. I ordered Raisin Bran because I didn't want there to be any mistaking it for a date. And then he's kind of starting to get to know her. Um... But he becomes very upset when he, when Tiffany kind of um, insinuates that he is sort of like her, right? And so Pat becomes very mad, like it's wrong to lump us together. Um, I'm not like you. And I think it's particularly ironic because we had just talked about how they had this almost like bonding moment over yes. the fact that they both have struggled with mental illness and have been through mental health treatment and different aspects of this. Yet then he's like has this superiority of like, oh, well, you're, you know, he doesn't explicitly say you're you're crazier than me, which he at least picks up on the fact that he shouldn't say that. But he basically says that it's implied. Yes. And here Tiffany is. She's trying to continue to build that bond. She's trying to, you know, connect with him over like shared experiences or shared difficulties. You know, not that they've gone through the exact same thing, but they have both had, like you mentioned, um, experience with mental health or treatment related or just the way that they're perceived by others. Um, mm -hmm. And then he, you know, she even mentions 
like, oh, you think you're superior to me, like you're better than me. So she feels she feels very judged and takes off. I opened up to you and you judged me. You're an asshole. And he is being very judgmental. So I can't really blame her for being angry at him in that situation. Obviously, the way she responds is, you know, a little bit more um, strong. Yes. A little bit stronger than maybe someone else might respond. But, you know, I think we can definitely understand where she's coming from in that moment. And I think something else that is, you know, I have to give Tiffany credit for is that moment, like minutes later, Pat starts having a really intense emotional experience because he hears the song. So he's chasing out after Tiffany and he hears the song that's triggering for him. And rather than just be like, you know, screw you, you've been a jerk to me, I'm going to leave you. She actually tries to help calm him down. Come on, man. Come Come here. What are you going to do about that song? Huh? You're going to go your whole life scared of that song? It's a song. Don't make it a monster. Come on, breathe. There's no song. There's no song. There's no song playing. That's it. That's it. Do it more. Here you go. Move it out. Let's go. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do think in fairness, though, that the whole altercation of the two of them may be the stressor that kind of brings on his reaction because after they leave the diner, she continues to yell at him. A crowd forms. She starts to yell that he's harassing her and he becomes very overwhelmed and the song starts to play in his head. Um, But you are right. To her credit, even though he was not kind to her, I mean – I think in the diner, she opens up about the loss of her husband and how depressed she felt and how she kind of went down a certain route in trying to cope with that. And it seems like she was really opening up and he just Mm -hmm. was not kind to her. But she still returns that kindness when she sees that the kindness that he did not give her actually, but she still does respond in a kind way when she sees he's struggling. She goes up, she kind of helps to empower him to kind of get back some of his control over the song and helps him deep breathe through it. And so even though they've had this big blow-up fight and this really kind of intense emotional interaction, um, they do decide that they're going to make this deal that Pat is going to participate in the dance competition with Tiffany. And in exchange, she is going to bring a letter to Nikki. Yes. So, you know, that's kind of the main focus of their relationship is we see them practicing. You know, they're both very dedicated, very focused. I think this really gives Pat some purpose, some routine, some structure. You know, they go each I don't know exactly the days, but it seems like they're very regularly practicing and for hours at a time. And, you know, we see that this seems to have a good impact on Pat. So having this consistent routine, this consistent physical activity, um, he seems to feel like there's benefit from that. And it makes sense because within the context of bipolar disorder, something that can be really helpful is having more regulation of routines and like sleep-wake cycles and exercise and just having a lot more kind of structure in those routines, which he seems to get more of when he's interacting with Tiffany in these like dance practices. Yes, and we will, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but one of the main focuses of Pat's is the silver lining, right? So finding the good. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of... 
it's kind of cute, I guess, for lack of a better word. But the day after this, like, altercation with Tiffany, he writes the letter for Nikki and he's, like, going to start practicing. And he's, like, he's in a very cheerful mood. You know, he's, like, I'm conquering the song. I'm doing good things. And he, like, you know, leaves the house after telling his dad that he feels, like, good about the song. He feels good about the direction he's headed in. Um, later on, when his dad tries to get him to miss some of the dancing practice that he would do with Tiffany, he even says, like, you know, the dancing has been good for me. It's a good thing. It's helped me stay focused. It's helped me stay disciplined. Um, so he, you know, very explicitly notices the benefits of it as well. And, you know, something else I think he has going for him, which we alluded to a little bit already, is this combination of medication and therapy, which is very often um, kind of the standard of standard care of choice for bipolar disorder. So having that medication like we talked about and then having some kind of therapeutic intervention. Typically for individuals with bipolar disorder, that's going to be something like cognitive behavioral therapy. There's oftentimes a family component, which we can definitely see how that something like that would be helpful with Pat and his parents, a family yeah. therapy component. And then like I mentioned before, definitely a big emphasis on regulating those routines um, and we'll, you know, we don't get all of those aspects in the therapeutic portrayal, but we'll come yeah. back to that. <laughs> exactly. I do think there are a lot of positive progress indicators here though, right? Like even with the medication, when he's first sent home, he's not taking the medication. He doesn't want to take it. He expresses feeling ashamed about it. Um, but then he really gets on track. He's taking his medication. We see him in treatment, uh, with psychotherapy and yeah, we will definitely dive more into that shortly. So it does look like Pat meets a bingo for bipolar disorder today. Um, based on the information that we have from the movie um we've talked to it a bit you know we mentioned that people with bipolar disorder do also often have depressive episodes not required for the diagnosis we don't really get to see that or hear about that as it relates to pat um, but based on what we see he gets the bingo today other than that though what else do we kind of see going on potentially with pat so I think two other things popped up um, in my head uh, in terms of Pat, and one of them in particular is his social interaction. So it is not a common criteria or symptom of bipolar to have like deficits in social communication the way that we see it come across with Pat sometimes. So like specifically, my mind goes to some of his interactions, early interactions with Tiffany, just seeming like he has no filter. He even says that. Um, and then also, you know, the way that he asks her and talks to her about her life and her husband and things like that. Tommy would never do it with well, me, and I missed dead, it every so single year. Would you please? No, I don't have a filter when I talk. I know you don't have a filter. Can we have one fucking conversation without you reminding me that my goddamn husband is dead? Okay, I'm sorry. Oh my god. I agree. I think we see some of those social difficulties. I think additionally for me, one of the things that was also striking was just like his kind of seemingly easy, seeming easily distracted. Um, he has a lot of impulsivity. You know, right when we see him come home, for example, mom has shared with him that dad lost his job as a bookkeeper. Don't tell dad. As soon as he walks in, he's like, hey, dad, I hear you're a bookkeeper now. So I think that it's true. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a filter, but I think he demonstrates kind of what we would call like difficulties with inhibition. He just kind of lets things out. I think that demonstrates a lot of impulsivity. Um, so it almost reminds me of potentially ADHD or 
attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, and this is something that actually we do see. There is a high, what we call comorbidity. So both bipolar disorder and ADHD being diagnosed in individuals. So I think that this might be something that I would maybe have on my radar and continue to like assess or keep an eye on for Pat. Um, we can see that individuals with ADHD, to your point, Dr. Fran, might have trouble with social interactions um, because they're easily distracted or they're not picking up on social cues um, and might have some of that poor reciprocity, which I mean like kind of that back and forth. So, you know, asking questions, um, apologizing, kind of responding in an appropriate manner, but it seems like he's just always so impulsive. So that might be something I would keep in mind. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think um, something important to consider would be the course of that. So in order there are some overlapping symptoms, right? Like that distractibility, if you're in the middle of a manic episode, could come off like ADHD. So really we want to know, was this something that was going on for Pat like early in his childhood? Was Mm -hmm. he often getting distracted or having those impulsive behaviors? That would lead us more to think that there might also be ADHD going on. And do those things occur even in the absence of a manic episode? And so we'd want to be checking in on those two things to see if really a, a different or a second diagnosis of ADHD would be appropriate for him. I think a very important point. And all around, like with most of these movies, we get to see them for like one hour in a snippet of whatever fictional life (laughs) they lead. Um, So it would always be more helpful to have a fuller background in history related to just like symptoms and their overall experiences. Yeah, I don't think people would really watch the movie if they spent (laughs) an hour doing a full diagnostic assessment. Interview, yeah, very true. (laughs) This is much more entertaining. Um, So I think that this might be a good point to kind of shift and talk a bit more other than the dancing version of therapy that Tiffany is talking about, but the therapy that we see Pat undergo. Yeah, and I think that's a good transition and also just a good piece again to think about with like the stigma. Um, I do think this movie is a little bit like before its time in terms of like it came out in 2012. It was one of the big movies I feel like to depict mental illness and therapy within that context and not just in a way of like you know, being kind of funny or dramatic, but actually trying to depict the therapeutic process. Exactly. I think one of the main points of the movie is like Pat is trying to um, find himself and better himself and make progress. And through that, you know, he is going to therapy. So I think we have some qualms, though, unfortunately, with the treatment he is receiving. (laughs) Um, Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah, surprise, surprise. This is where maybe it falls a little more short. Um, But in the first therapy session we see, Pat we assume has not met the therapist yet because when he goes into the room, they're really doing introductions, but he walks in to check in for his appointment. And what does he hear? Is that song really playing? We have music sometimes. That song is killing me. Could you please turn it off? I can't. What do you mean you can't? I don't have the controls. I'm sorry. Did Dr. Timbers put you up to this? Is there a speaker here? Is it the speaker here? That was a messed up thing you did, Dr. Patel, all right? That's a messed up thing. I'm sorry, but that's... You can call me Cliff, please. Yeah, well, Cliff, that's not the way you're supposed to meet people, okay? You should write that down in your, in your, I don't know, what do you have, a little book you write stuff down in? I'm sorry about that song. I just wanted to see if it was still a trigger for you. Bravo! It's a trigger. <laughs> So he hears the song that we very quickly learn is very triggering for him. And then we learn when he gets into the therapy room that Dr. Patel, so his therapist, has purposely played the song in the waiting room to see if it would still impact him in the same way. 
Yes, and this is before they have met. So imagine trying to establish a new relationship with a healthcare provider when they have, you know, played this song that upsets you so much, right? He gets very upset. He's trying to stop the song. Um, and really, the therapist kind of did this as an uncontrolled experiment without really setting up Pat for any way to kind of cope or handle this happening. Yeah, definitely unethical, I would say. Definitely not the approach I would take to introducing myself to my patient for the first time. And, you know, so clear that even Pat himself says, like, this is not the way you meet people in their first interaction. Yes. Um, I think in this first session, we get a better idea, though. Pat kind of describes his history. He describes, like, getting the diagnosis and the initial inpatient treatment related to his bipolar disorder. Um, and so we do gather a lot more information about him. But this first session leaves a lot to be desired in terms of establishing a good working relationship and rapport and kind of starting to move forward and make progress in therapy. Yeah. Unfortunately, the second session doesn't add too much extra to the picture. So let's take a quick listen um, to what the second session sounds like. Tell me one thing. Would you like to be a guy who goes back to jail or to the hospital? Hmm? So take your medication. And if you do fine, we'll reduce them. Nikki's waiting for me to get in shape and get my life in order, and then she's going to be with me. And that's better than any medication. Pat, there is a possibility, and I want you to be prepared for it, that she may not return. True love is about letting her go and see if she returns. In the meantime, if you listen to that song, I don't want you to fall apart. So get a strategy, okay? You need one. Let me just say something. I'm going to say something. Okay. This is what I believe to be true. This is what I learned in the hospital. You have to do everything you can. You have to work your hardest. And if you do, if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver lining. Work on a strategy, okay? So this session, this kind of interaction we just heard really upsets me for several reasons. So right away, Dr. Patel is just threatening Pat that if he doesn't get things together, if he doesn't get better, he's going to end up going back to jail or back to the hospital. So what is the solution for that? To get a strategy, of course. Yeah. And take the meds. Once you take the meds, then we'll think about reducing them. But he gives no guidance. And he's just threatening pat like you have to take your meds but he's not asking pat like what barriers are there what's making it difficult to take the medication what are your thoughts and feelings about the medication how do we work through that how do we come up with a plan that helps you to take your medication as we know individuals with bipolar disorder do not always realize that there is trouble or that they might benefit from assistance. So if you are telling someone to take medication and they don't think there really is an issue, are they likely to take their medication? (laughs) Probably not, as we see with Pat. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and I think, you know, even if it is true that if Pat is continues on his trajectory without taking his medication, that there is a likelihood he's going to go back to jail or to the hospital, that's not how you would say it to a patient and, like, to be effective and helpful and supportive. And I think even, you know, that is the case and you do want your the people that you work with to realize that, but you could also ask them, like, okay, what are the benefits of taking the medication? What might happen if you don't take the medication? So that they can come to that realization and really kind of internalize that and work towards that, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think threatening is never a good strategy. The medication is important. So how do we work with Pat to make sure that that is a goal of his and that he can be successful? Well, Dr. Patel does not really focus on it that way. <laughs> right. Uh, he focuses a lot on getting a strategy. So he says this several times in this session and then says it several times in another session. And I wrote down in my notes, 
Why doesn't he give him any strategies? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Yes, some might argue that a main part of therapy often is working on coping skills and strategies and other techniques that people can use to help them manage their um, experiences or emotions. And Dr. Patel is just like, hey, next time you hear this song, you need to have a strategy so you don't fall apart. Well, I don't know where else, if not Dr. Patel, Pat should be going to learn how to create this strategy. What is the strategy? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's such a good point. It's just like, come on, Dr. Patel, give him one strategy. Teach him some deep breathing. Teach him distraction techniques. Like, come up with something. Draw on things that he already has. He goes on runs. Like, he has other coping skills that he uses. He just may not recognize that those are things he can use in that moment to cope. Um, But yeah, Dr. Patel is not really, like, giving him a bone or, like, really throwing out much for him to pick up on no guidance and then you know i actually like how here pat also says like you know i learned while i was in the hospital that you have to focus on the positives and you have to work hard to have a shot at a silver lining so you know we do see that pat is trying to soak up information he is internalizing things that people are teaching them and he's trying to apply them to his life right so We might not want to tell him to only focus on the positives because there might be negative experiences or unpleasant experiences like when he hears that song. So we also want to prepare him for how to manage those more unpleasant times. But I do like that he's kind of having this positive outlook and trying to work towards progress. That might be a really nice opportunity for Dr. Patel to capitalize on that, talk about it a little bit more, see how we can turn that into a strategy. But instead, Dr. Patel is very dismissive doesn't even acknowledge what Pat has said and just says, work mm-hmm. on a strategy. It's so frustrating. I can't, I don't yeah. know how Pat doesn't get frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we don't see this in this clip, but in the next session that they have together, um, we also see Dr. Patel almost trying to manipulate Pat a little bit. So we've yes. seen him outwardly trying to manipulate him by threatening him that if he doesn't take his meds, he's going to go back to the hospital. And then we see it again, kind of more underhandedly when he picks up on the fact that you know, Pat's maybe developing this friendship with Tiffany. And instead of just kind of encouraging that as something helpful for Pat, he kind of says, You said Nikki is friends with Ronnie, Veronica, and Tiffany. So if you become friends with Tiffany, Nikki will think that you're a kind, generous, large-hearted person who, who helps people in need, who is basically thriving. So if you help Tiffany, it will be good for you. And so really taking advantage of Pat's desire to get back with Nikki and using that to Dr. Patel's advantage kind of in an underhanded way. Yeah, I think that whole part is really interesting um, where he's kind of, you know, Pat is discussing Tiffany in the therapy session and the way that Patel, Dr. Patel tries to use that or talk about that. I think at one point he does say like, you know, um, he mentions how Tiffany says like you know i have some crazy sad shit but i still like i still like myself there are things i love about myself and dr patel asked pat like well what parts of you do you like yourself about yourself or you know kind of what positives are there and we see that pat actually kind of struggles with that is that you're asking that you're you're really asking me that question yes all my crazy sad shit what are you fucking nuts Right. But then Dr. Patel does mention like you have this new beautiful philosophy that you've been learning that you learned in the hospital that you're focused on about silver linings. Um, But then again, unfortunately, it does not go further than that. So you're right. In In this other session, we just see some more manipulation some more emphasis on finding a strategy, but without any real guidance or support. 
you know, so this is the last therapy session we've seen yeah. between Dr. Patel and Pat, but it is not the last time we see Dr. Patel. So one thing I will give him credit for, I do appreciate a little bit earlier in one of the scenes we played, um, Pat and Dr. Patel do develop a little bit of rapport or kind of some bond over the Eagles. My mom got this Gap outfit she wants me to wear, but I want to wear a jersey that my brother Jake got me from the Eagles. Which jersey? Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson is the man. And so they yes. clearly both like the Eagles, and I do think there is an opportunity to use shared interests and things that you're passionate about to kind of create that bond and relationship. It goes a little bit further than that mm. when Pat and Dr. Patel run into each other at an Eagles game. Dr. Patel! Pat! Hey! What are you doing here? You know, we must beat the Giants, my brother. I'm not supposed to be seeing you, right? Outside bad, the office? Bad. Oh, bad. no. Is that illegal? What are you... Today, I'm your brother in green, not your therapist. I'm so happy to see you. Uh, wonderful. You. Wonderful that you're hey, here. Hey, Jake! This is Cliff. This is my doctor, Cliff. Yes. Shared interests are great, but we need to keep them appropriate. So, you know... Um, Pat does see Dr. Patel at the game. And I think actually it's kind of an interesting thing because people will often ask like, oh, like, what do I do if I see my therapist like outside of therapy? Like how, what do you, like if you're the therapist, how do you handle that? If you're the individual, how do you handle that? And actually the ball is in the individual's court, so to speak. So it is up to them if they want to recognize or acknowledge their therapist. And if so, if other people around, like how they would like to um, identify the nature of that relationship. So in this case, Dr. Patel, I think, actually handles that part appropriate. Pat sees him, says hi, comes up, and then even introduces him to his brother saying, hey, this is Dr. Patel, my therapist. Okay, so far, it's okay. But does it get better or worse? You can say that again. Those cocksuckers. <laughs> it gets a little bit questionable, I would say. <laughs> So we flash forward and there are scenes with Dr. Patel drinking with not just Pat, but also his brother and like their friends. And so, you know, typically I'm not going to recommend or endorse or participate in drinking behaviors with my patients if I see them out partially because they're usually underage, but also because that's just not an appropriate relationship usually to have with your patient is going out drinking and tailgating and those different things. Yes. So in psychology, we would call this a dual relationship, which means having a relationship um, that has more than one kind of nature to it, right? So when you are a therapist and the patient, you have the therapist and patient relationship. If it goes beyond that, like becoming friends, hanging out at parties, kind of having other ways in, in which you're interacting, that can become ethically questionable and difficult to navigate. So this is a situation where Dr. Patel might be kind of crossing those boundaries. He also is like screaming profanities. And to make matters worse, they end up, Pat and Dr. Patel included, end up getting into a physical altercation with some other Eagles fans um, that lands Pat in a bit of trouble. Yeah, and you know, Dr. Uh, Sam and I had gone back and forth on this. I think to some extent I can understand why Dr. Patel, you know, goes goes to Pat's house. He tries to advocate. He tries to explain the situation that like, you know, Pat tried not to get involved. And, you know, so I can to some extent see why Dr. Patel is trying to advocate for Pat. And I appreciate that. And there may be some other things going on that like could have been done differently. Yes, like I would say overall, if you are the therapist and Pat has just been released from police custody back to his house, you should probably not accompany him drunk and shirtless <laughs> and, and engage in a very like heated family discussion over gambling. 
Um, right. Like maybe call the fa- the parents later or, you know, kind of find some other way to explain the situation or even go, but maybe like stop by the home and like shower real quick, get the paint off you, throw a shirt on. Yeah. Just, you know, not something I would recommend or feel like is appropriate at all. Not to mention Pat is an adult. And so was there any release of information signed? Did Pat ever give Dr. Patel any permission to be involved in these kind of conversations? It's mm-hmm. just very ethically um, inappropriate all around. <laughs> yeah. And I think similarly with like the re- release of information and kind of like who's aware of the relationship and things like that, we do see Dr. Patel attend the dance performance at the end of the movie, which again, Dr. Sam and I kind of dis- discussed this on our own. There are certain circumstances in which therapists might attend like a really big event, like a graduation or a dance recital if that's something super important to the patient and they've invited you and they've really expressed interest in you attending. What's unclear is, you know, who has Pat said Dr. Patel is to these other people? Dr. Patel brings someone with him to the event. Mm -hmm. Does that person now know that Pat is his patient because that's unethical and breaking confidentiality? So a lot of it is just like it's not inherently unethical, but the way it's gone about it in the movie implies that there are some unethical things going on. Yeah, definitely some questions that at the very least would need answered, right? Um, If Dr. Patel is just showing up with his partner more as like a friend, again, I think that goes into the dual relationship kind of thing that I mentioned earlier that you're wanting to watch out for. So you want to keep the relationship therapeutic and beneficial for your patient if there are instances in which attending the dance recital, you know, would be helpful in terms of his treatment plan or goals. Okay, that's great. But if you're going kind of like because now it's like this weird like maybe they're friends kind of thing, um, you know, not the best thing to do. So I think overall, you know, we've <laughs> we've talked about Pat. We've talked a bit about Tiffany. We've gone into more of what we see in Pat while he's in therapy, I think we do see positive changes throughout the movie. You know, um, when Pat finally gets a five at the dance competition, he gets closure with Nikki. He even says, like, he feels like he's made a lot of positive changes. He's lost weight. He's gained a new positive outlook on life. He's taking his medications. He's going to therapy. And he's really grateful to have, like, the support of his family and friends. The world will break your heart ten ways to Sunday. That's guaranteed. And I can't begin to explain that, or the craziness inside myself and everybody else, but guess what? Sunday's my favorite day again. I think of everything everyone did for me, and I feel like a very lucky guy. So we do see a lot of positive progress. I think that's great for Pat. Um, This movie, though, is often criticized for kind of portraying once um, Tiffany and Pat fall in love, that love is kind of the cure it fixes mental illness and like that's kind of where everything stops because it's just like oh and then it was a happy ending um i think we see this a lot in the media so i think it's important that we like talk about it a little bit we won't go into this too much um we do know that like when someone is in a positive relationship or someone finds themselves in love that can be something that can kind of help lead to resilience or someone's ability to kind of bounce back and overcome obstacles and barriers so there definitely can be some positives related to that Is it going to cure or treat bipolar disorder or depression or trauma? No, right? I think the fact that Pat is still taking his meds, going to treatment, those are important factors. Um, I think it's also interesting because some studies have actually shown that falling in love can kind of um, trigger a manic episode actually in young adults and some adults. So also something to just kind of be aware of, right? Because it is such a 
it's a positive thing, but it's also a stressor. It's a big change. It can lead to a change in your emotions and your routine. Um, and that can be unsettling and can trigger something like that. So it definitely might isn't going to just fix it automatically. I think that's such an important point. And like you said, this is something that comes up a lot in different movies and TV shows is thinking that like love can conquer all. You know, I do appreciate that the movie kind of ends on this positive, hopeful note so that with this combination of positive social support, whether that's from a romantic partner or parents or friends, plus therapy, plus medication, you know, having all of these, you know, plus a consistent routine, that all of these things put together can put someone on a much more positive trajectory for managing what can be a really um, difficult, and stressful um, diagnosis to have. So we do see that there's hope. um, And that is, I think, an accurate reflection of what can happen in real life is that when these things are kind of all taken into account together, that people can live a relatively normal and stable and kind of healthy and enjoyable life, even in the context of severe mental illness. Agreed. And I think, you know, that's the more important takeaway instead of just seeing it as, oh, then they fall in love and everything's over and better. Like, you know, Pat says it best himself, like he is on a good track. He's making good progress. um, And hopefully he will continue to do so with all the support he has. So I think that kind of wraps up what we were planning to cover today for Silver Linings Playbook. But we cannot end session without doing our PH don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry, I... Are you going to, like, keep touching me like that? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. Oh, that's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you. Don't expose your patient to triggers before you've met them. Don't tell your patients to get over it. Don't tell your patient to develop a strategy without any guidance when that is exactly why they're coming to see you. Don't trick your patient into making new friends by claiming their wife will take them back. Don't drink alcohol and yell profanities with your patient at a tailgate or anywhere else, please. Also, don't get into a physical brawl with your patient. And last but not least, don't go to your patient's house shirtless and drunk after he is released from police custody after said brawl. All right. So, Dr. Sam, what are your thoughts overall on Silver Linings Playbook? This is a trickier one for me. (laughs) Um, I really like Bradley Cooper and I really like Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I think, you know, I think you said this earlier, Dr. Fran, this movie seems a little bit ahead of its time because the main focus of this movie is two individuals with mental illness and how they're kind of living their life and trying to live their best life, right? Or continue forward on their on their paths um, given different obstacles and different kind of difficulties that they've had. Um, I think overall, I like the movie. It's an enjoyable movie. And even though it takes on some really serious topics, I think that overall it does so in a way that like hopefully does more normalize and show um, that people with these mental illnesses can still do a lot of the things that they want to do, live the kind of lives that they want to live, and get proper treatment that hopefully is beneficial. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. I think the acting is very very well done. Obviously, um, both Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence were highly um, recognized for their portrayals in this film. Um, And I think 
as you mentioned before, having a film like this that won a bunch of Oscars and was very highly watched that portrays mental illness is something super important to us. So I love that. And it wasn't super inaccurate. So there were some accurate pieces of it. It wasn't a completely negative <laughs> portrayal. Um, so I think it's a very endearing movie and it's a good conversation starter. I do think if they redid this movie like this year or like in a few years, it would probably be done a little bit differently, but it at least for its time, um, I think was a, you know, it's a nice and kind of sweet movie to watch. Yeah, agreed. I do like how, unlike a lot of the movies we cover, we often kind of stress like, why aren't they in treatment? Or this would be the type of therapy. So I think like, even though I disagree with all, almost all <laughs> of the aspects of the therapy that was portrayed, I do think that it is an important message that it shows Bradley Cooper's character, Pat, kind of struggling with his ability to kind of like, you know, get the treatment that he wants, take his medication, stay on his medication, go to psychotherapy and do these things, even like the dancing um, that are kind of helping him to feel better and make progress. So I think that is really important that it's also showing um, and emphasizing the treatment piece. On that note, though, let's do our DSM-5. So diagnosing shows and movies. Dr. Fran, what would you rate Silver Linings Playbook? This is so hard because I feel like the <laughs> portrayal of bipolar disorder is actually pretty accurate. I would almost even think about giving that like a four out of five. But, but Dr. Mm. Patel's therapy, I think, is not accurate at all. And that would be much lower on the spectrum. So I think I'm going to average and give it around a three. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. What about you? <laughs> so I actually do agree with a lot of what you said. I think that there were, as we talked about with Bingo and talking about Pat, um, there are things that we would expect to see and are consistent with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. I think particularly that scene with the er the Ernest Hemingway book, I think kind of showed um, uh a better example of what a manic episode might look like than is typically portrayed in shows and movies. Um, but I do just think that the therapy is so, it just is so upsetting to me and so abysmal, especially because Bradley Cooper is such, uh, you know, he's so motivated, engaged, and ready for therapy. It's like I want him to get the kind of therapy that would be helpful. So I'm going to give it an overall two. Kind of harsh, I know. Ooh, very harsh critic. <laughs> but only because, you know, we're here to try to demystify and lower the stigmatization, and we want to encourage people to seek treatment and you know we want them to see accurate and positive portrayals <laughs> all right sessions over for silver linings playbook don't forget to check out our website we have some really interesting resources and as always a glossary of new terms that we discuss in today's session Please let us know your thoughts on the movie. Um, we were really excited to get all your votes. So I know a lot of you have seen the movie and we're excited for us to cover it. So if you have thoughts on how we what we discussed or have other questions, please send this to us on social media or through our email. We'd also love to hear questions or thoughts you have about psychology in general or what movies and TV shows we should put on our couch next. And I know we've mentioned this a couple of times, um, but we are working to bring you really interesting content, some more polls, interesting teasers, um, and we have some exciting new episodes coming up. So please find and follow us on social media. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, and webmaster Don. <laughs>